All right. Well, we are ready for today's lesson. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and then we will get started. God, we thank you again so much for blessing us with this time to gather in your name and in your presence that we may feast on your word, that which you have prepared for us at your table. We pray, God, now as we open up your word, may we also have our eyes, our ears, our hearts open to receive your word with gladness and with understanding. You said in your word, God, to those who have an ear to hear, let them hear. And we have come with ears ready to hear, God, not just to hear your word, but to be doers of your word, to perceive, to understand, and to believe it enough to put it into practice that we may be blessed by it. So we pray, God, you would have your way. You will watch over your word. May it do what you have purposed it to do even before the foundation of the world that it may never return back to you void, but it will accomplish what you have purposed it to do in our lives for our good and ultimately for your glory. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, if you're here uh, visiting with us, uh, we did start a new series on uh, our midweek service called Minds of the Mind. Okay. Minds of the mind. And simply, in a nutshell, what that is all about, it is speaking to the spiritual warfare that we are now in. Okay, Like we said last week, we are in the middle of the greatest civil war known uh, in the universe. Okay, We are in the middle of that. But we have become casualties of this warfare. And it is because the enemy out there is real. He doesn't fight fair. He has weaponry and devices and instruments and tools and all kinds of things that he tries to use uh, against us to cause us to become casualties of this war. And so what this particular series is all about is to teach you and to show you how you can gain your victory, your power, and your authority that God has graciously given to all of us over the minds that are in our mind, okay? And when we talk about minds of the mind, we're talking about those mental attacks. This is the way Satan attacks us as Christians, as believers, as children of God. He attacks the mind. Why does he do that? Well, we said last week because of Proverbs 23.7. And what Proverbs 23.7 simply says is this. As a man or woman thinks in his heart, so is he. Okay? As a man thinks in his heart, as a woman thinks in her heart, her mind, her soul, so is he. Translation, whatever you think will dictate or determine how you feel. Okay? The reason why you feel the way that you feel is because of the way that you are thinking. The way you think is the way you will feel, and the way you feel is the way you will behave or act or do. And the way that you behave or act or do, that is what you will become. And what you become will determine whose will will be done. <laughs> As we said last week, the reason why the battle is not only in your mind, the battle is for your mind because whoever or whatever controls your mind controls you. And God wants his will to be done. He wants his kingdom to be done, uh, uh, kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So that's why he wants to be the one to control our mind. 
Because if he controls our mind, he controls what we think. And if he controls what we think, he controls what we feel. And if he controls what we feel, he controls what we do. And if he controls what we do, he controls what we become. And if he controls what we become, he controls his will being done. But the opposite of that is true. If Satan can get you to think how he wants you to think, he can also get you to feel how he wants you to feel. And he can get you to do what he wants you to do and become what he wants you to become. And therefore, you will perform or do his will. So the battle is not only in the mind. The battle is actually for the mind. It is for the mind. And so some of the minds of the mind that we talked about last week were these. And maybe some of these resonate with you. Worry, doubt, fear, failing, lust, greed, loneliness, hopelessness, sadness, depression, despair, anger, desperation, anxiety, discouragement, pride, envy, guilt, shame, regret. Just to name a few, okay? Did I hit anybody yet on any of those? I got about five of them myself, okay? (laughs) But these are all of the minds that the devil, the enemy, places in the mind. And so if you're wondering why does it feel like I'm walking through a battlefield, this is why. But God wants us to get the victory over this. He wants to show us how we can navigate through this battlefield called our mind so that we don't trigger the minds that he has placed there. So God wants to give us the victory. And how do we say God does this? Well, number one, we said by having the mind of Christ. Okay? The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So number one, we need to have the mind of Christ. We said number two, by using the weapons of our warfare. God says, though we wrestle with flesh and blood, that is not how we war. Okay? Our weapons are strong or they are mighty for doing a few things dealing with the minds of the mind. Number three, by going by what we know, believing what's been said, living for what's eternal and focusing on what's above. By doing those things, we can have victory over the minds of our minds. And uh, last week, if you were here, we illustrated that with the uh, empty chair here, right? We put out the stool and we said, this is the throne or the seat to your soul. The throne or the stool to your mind. And the thing about it is, it can only be occupied by one person or one thing or one thought at a time. Just like the laws of physics say that two objects can't occupy the same space at the same time, so it is with your mind. You can't have meditate on two thoughts at the same time. So either we can allow the mind of Christ to take seat or residence in our mind, or we can allow the minds and the ways of this world sit there and we meditate on it. But the choice is ours. The choice is up to us. So now that we have given you the, the foundation of this series, And the overview of this series and what this series is all about, it is time now to get into some specifics. The reason why this series came up is because of the questions you guys submitted to us. And so we are going to get into some specifics, specific ways of dealing with these minds 
of the mind. So we're going to eventually get to the ones you asked. But I said last week I was going to also add a few of my own, okay? And these are some that I feel that are common amongst all of us that we are battling with. And so before I get to the questions you uh, asked, I'm going to start off with one that I want to talk about today. This particular one, I believe, is probably the most common one. It is probably the most common mind among us, okay? It is certainly one of the most destructive ones. And it covers most of the others that I've mentioned already. So if we can defeat this mind of the mind, then we can start living a victorious life almost instantly. Now let me preface that or give you a disclaimer on that. If you have been battling with the minds of the mind for years, Please don't expect just pray real hard one day and now you got victory. (laughs) Or because you read a scripture, now I got power over this. Or because you came to a church service. No, this takes practice. Okay, This takes practice because this is not just something you do. It is a way of living. It is a lifestyle. It is like a diet. Okay. If you have goals of losing weight and getting in shape and all that, don't think just because you ate a salad today, now you're going to look like Hercules, okay? That's not going to happen, okay? It is a lifestyle, okay? It is a lifestyle that you have to take, and that takes time. That takes practice. So don't beat yourself up if you resort back to your old way of thinking. Don't beat yourself up and become defeated and depressed and discouraged because you you fall back into thinking sadly and and defeated and depressed all the time. No, see where you fail, pick yourself up and get back and do it again. Okay, but once you begin to do it time and time again, over and over again, it will become a way of life for you. Okay, so my job is to simply give you the tools necessary that you need that you may put these things into practice so that over time it will just become your reality. It will become a way of life for you, a new way of living your life. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to start off with the mind called worry. We're going to start off today with the mind of the mind called worry. Now, I used to work for uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, okay? When after I graduated from college, that was one of the first jobs that I had gotten. I worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and of course, if you've ever rented a car, you know what they do. They rent or lease cars to people who come in, whether from the airport, out of town, whatever it is. You go and you rent a car. But when I was working there, not only did you have to uh, be a, a customer service rep to uh, facilitate the rental of a car, you actually had to be a salesperson as well. Okay? They expected you to sell. It was called the upsell. You ever been in business or a salesman? You know all about the upsell, right? Even in McDonald's, they have an upsell, right? Would you like an apple pie with that? That's an upsell, right? <laughs> you want to supersize that? That's an upsell. <laughs> Well, in the same way, when I was working at Enterprise, they expected us to become salesmen and have the upsell. And what we were to sell was something called damage waiver. Okay, 
damage waiver, okay, or a way to uh, transfer responsibility from the customer back to enterprise. So if you've ever rented a car, you know about this. Because you go inside and they're telling you, uh, Mr. Winchester, uh, I'm sorry you got into your accident and you're without your car for a while and you're renting our car. Um, but we want you to know you're responsible for this now. Okay, <laughs> You're responsible for this. And so uh, we, we would like to have you um, get this damage waiver. And just like I'm talking now is the way I would do it because everybody would be nervous, right? Nobody wants to sell anything because they don't want to hear no. They don't want to hear rejection. And so you would be fumbling over your words and you would be stuttering. You wait till the last moment. It's like, uh, do, do you want that? No. You don't, okay, that's fine. Then don't worry about it. And that's how we would do it. And so nobody would be good at selling it. Well, I had a, a cousin. He also worked for Enterprise. And he said, I had absolutely no problem selling it. I had absolutely no problem selling this damage waiver. I said, really? Well, how did you do it? I was like, simple. I would explain to them exactly what it was. I would go to my customer, and before they went out the parking lot, I would say, uh, before you leave, let me ask you a question. Would you be interested in our worry-free guarantee? Would you be interested in our worry-free Guarantee. They said, well, what is that? What do you mean by that? He said, well, basically right now, of course, the car is your responsibility. And we expect you to bring our car back the way that you drove it off the lot. Okay? But as soon as you drive it off this lot, you're going to be worrying about anything happening to this car, right? A ding on the windshield. It's not your fault. You're just following the car. A rock pops up and it cracks our windshield. That's your fault now. You park somewhere. Somebody opens up a car door and hits it. That's your responsibility now. So because we want you to enjoy your time in our, in our car, Enterprise is willing to take the responsibility from you. Right now it's your responsibility. <laughs> but if you sign this damage waiver just for a nominal free uh, fee uh, per day, we will take that responsibility from you. So that you may be able to drive and ride and travel and vacation and enjoy your time in our car worry-free. <laughs> you don't have to worry about a thing. Why? Because you've transferred your responsibility from you to us. And he says, nine times out of ten, people says, yeah, I think I want that. <laughs> yes, sign me up for that. Why? Because they saw the benefit in that. It wasn't they just trying to sell you something or an upsell. No, they saw the benefit of having a worry-free experience, a worry-free time in this particular uh, car that I'm in. Well, how many know God wants the same thing for you and I? God wants us to have a worry-free time while in this life and in this world. And so in the same way, he also offers to us a worry-free guarantee. <laughs> God offers to you and I today a worry-free guarantee. I know y'all don't believe me. You're saying that's far-fetched. I don't believe that's, that's accurate, Pastor. Well, let me show you. <laughs> so this is part two of our series, Minds of the Mind, and we're simply going to entitle it Worry-Free Guarantee. Okay? Worry-free guarantee. Before we get into God's worry-free guarantee, let's quickly go over what worry is. Okay? What is worry? What does it mean to worry? 
Well, worry is this. It is faith in fear of future failing. What worry is, if you're taking notes, (laughs) it is faith in the fear of future failing. In other words, it is the bad you believe is going to happen to you tomorrow (laughs) or next week or next year or five years from now, whatever. It is faith, because it hasn't happened yet, it is faith in the fear of future failing. Now, I've given you my definition of faith. I got it from another pastor, and so I'm not taking credit for it, but I give it to you a few times now. We say faith is acting like it is so, even though it's not so, so that it might be so, simply because God said so, right? That is faith. (laughs) That is faith. You go to Hebrews 11, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. You don't have it yet, but it is the evidence of the things not seen. So faith is simply acting like it is so, even though it's not so, so that it might be so, simply because God said so. That's faith. (laughs) But how many know that is the exact same definition for worry? That is the exact Same definition for worry, only you have in your mind something bad happening instead of something good happening. Worry is the exact same definition. Worry is acting like it is so, even though it's not so, believing it will be so, simply because you think so. (laughs) That's worry. (laughs) That is the definition. In other words, it takes just as much faith to believe for good than it does to believe for bad. It takes just as much mental capacity, energy, and effort (laughs) to believe for something good or to believe for something bad. Either way, you are exercising faith. Because that's what it is. That's what worry is. It hasn't happened to you yet. It hasn't come upon you yet. You don't know if it ever will, but yet You treat it as if it will. That's faith. So rather than believing for something good, you would rather believe for something bad. That's what worry is. Now you say, now what's the difference between worrying and just being concerned? Because I wouldn't call it worry. I'm just concerned. I mean, I'm just trying to figure things out. No, absolutely. We are supposed to figure things out. (laughs) We are supposed to problem, problem solve. We're supposed to to, uh, try and see if there is some type of resolution and uh, solution to my problems. No, you are supposed to do that. No, this goes beyond that, though. (laughs) Worry goes beyond just being concerned and trying to problem solve and try to figure things out. So how do you know you cross the line? Well, just ask yourself this one question. Ask yourself this one question when you're faced with something and you don't know whether you're concerned with it or you're worried with it. Ask yourself this one thing. Is there anything I can do about it? (laughs) That's all you got to do is ask yourself that. Is there anything that I can do about this situation that I'm in right now? Ask yourself that with whatever you're faced with, okay? If the answer is yes, then do it. <laughs> Go do it. If something comes
trying to come up with solutions and how can I figure this thing out? Nothing wrong with that. You should be doing that. Is there anything that I can do about this situation that I am faced with? If the answer is yes, then go do it. (laughs) But if the answer is no, If the answer is no, is there something I can do about this current situation that I am in? And if you say, no, there is absolutely nothing I can do about this, then leave it. Leave it alone. Leave it in the hands of God. So either you can do something about it, so do it, or you can't do something about it, so leave it. That should be the only two options of the saint of God. That should be the only two options. So, so no, I'm not telling you to ignore your problem or act like your problem isn't there. That's not faith. You know, you have people there, they, they got a 104 fever, they, they're stuffy, they're, they can barely talk, but they say, no, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. Yes, you are sick, okay? <laughs> It's not faith to deny what what you have. No, if you're not sick, you don't need a miracle. You don't need a healing. You don't need God for anything. No, I am sick, but I know the one who can heal me and make me better. That's faith. But simply denying or ignoring your problem, that's not faith. So simply ask yourself, can something be done about this? Can I do something about this? If you can, go do it. But if you can't, then just leave it. Leave it. We cross the line. I believe this is the key here. We cross the line from concern to worry when it is beyond our control, but yet it still controls us. That is when we have crossed the line from concern to worry. When it is beyond our control, We can't do absolutely anything about this situation, but yet we allow it to control us. That's when we cross the line to worry. When it controls how we are going to think, when it controls how we are going to feel, when it controls what we are going to say, when it controls how we're going to act, when it controls whether or not we're going to sleep tonight. When this thing that we have no control over begins to control us, that's when we've crossed the line from concern to worry. God doesn't want his children living that way. God does not want his children living that way. He wants you to have a worry-free guarantee. And so he gives us his worry-free guarantee. You've read this scripture time and time again, but we're going to look at it a little closer and see the fine details of this worry-free guarantee. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Go to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. This is Jesus speaking, and he is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his followers. And notice what he says in verse 25. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Jesus tells his disciples, Jesus tells his followers, do 
not worry. Do not worry about your life. How many of you guys know that worry is a sin? <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that worry is a sin? Did you know you are sinning when you're worried? You say, no, I'm not, I'm not sinning. I mean, I'm not lying. I'm not committing adultery. I'm, I'm not stealing anything. No, no. Worry is a sin. Why is it a sin? Well, because anytime we do something <laughs> that God told us not to do, that's sin. Anytime we don't do something, forgive, that God told us to do, that's sin. That's disobedience. So if God tells us, do not worry, yet that's exactly what we're doing, God says, that's sin. That's disobedience. So not only are you uh, jeopardizing and damaging your own self and your own health and your own life, you are actually sinning against God when you disobey him by worrying. Because he said, do not worry. Don't worry about your life. And in number two, we see from this particular scripture that it is possible to live a worry-free life. How do we know it's possible to live a worry-free life? Because he told you to do it. And God would never tell you to do something he knew was impossible for you to do. Why would God tell us to live a worry-free life, do not worry, if he knew it was impossible for us to do that? That wouldn't make any sense. So God is letting us know through this one scripture here that number one, you're sinning if you worry. <laughs> but number two, it is possible for you to live a worry-free life. Because I wouldn't have told you to do something that you didn't have the power to do. So God now gives the worry-free guarantee. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You say, well, that's the problem right there, Pastor. I don't worry about those things. <laughs> I mean, I got some big problems. <laughs> I got some big issues. I'm not worried about what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to put on my body. I'm not worried about that. Well, that's the point. Exactly. Food and clothing are your basic necessities of life. Okay? Food and clothing are the basic necessities of life. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 6, 8, Paul tells Timothy this. If you have food and clothing, with those, you should be content. <laughs> if you got something to put on your back and something to put in your stomach, with those things, the Bible says, you ought to be content. You ought to be satisfied. So if God is able to give you your basic necessities, food and clothing, why do you worry about any other part or area of your life? If he's already shown you that he can give you the basic necessities of life of what you need, what else can he not do for you? <laughs> so no, he's not just saying, talking about food and talking about uh, clothing. He's saying about your life in general. Do not worry about any part, any aspect of your life. Because if I can take care of the basic necessities of your life, then I can take care of any part of your life. Verse 26, he says this. He gives you an example. 
He says, look at the birds of the air. <laughs> he says, look at the birds. Isn't it wise how God will always point to something, an illustration to show us something, to teach us something? Does this throughout the Old Testament, book of Psalms, book of Proverbs. He says, look to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Go to the ant and see how they function. Here he says, look to the birds. Look, look at, just, just study the birds for a second, if you will. He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. They don't have a savings plan. <laughs> they don't have a job where they clock in and out of. <laughs> They don't have any of that, but it says, but yet your heavenly father feeds them. Every single morning the birds wake up. They say, if I'm in this day, then there's something for me. Okay. Now, yes, I got to go look for it. I got to go work for it. I got to poke and prod in the grass, but I know something is there for me. <laughs> if, if God in heaven brought me to this day, he's going to provide for this day. They know that. <laughs> So he says, all you got to do is look at the birds of the air and see how I provide for them. See how I take care of them. And then watch what he says. Are you not of more value than they? If that's how God takes care of birds of the air, (laughs) what do you think he's willing to do for the apple of his eye? (laughs) What do you think he's willing to do for his most prized creation? Are you not of more value than they? So worry comes from sources, okay? The reason why we worry is because that's coming from something. But one of the sources of the reason why we worry is this, either how you view God or how you view yourself, okay? One of the sources that will cause us to worry comes from that source. How you view God or how you view yourself. Either God is of little value to you. You don't think much about your God. Because if you did, you wouldn't be worrying. So either God is of little value to you or you believe you are little value to God. One of those two reasons will cause you to worry. Either God is of little value to you, he can't do anything for you, can't help you out, therefore if it's going to be, it's up to me, or God is able, God is good, God is all-powerful, God is almighty, but you see that you are of little value to God. Why is God going to visit me? Why is God going to take care of me? Why is God going to do this for me? One of those two reasons will cause you, cause you to worry. But yet God says, if I am willing to take care of birds, <laughs> what makes you think I won't take care of you? God wants us to have this worry-free guarantee. And so then he asks a question in verse 27. In verse 27, he says this, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? (laughs) Which of you by worrying can do one single solitary good thing to your life or situation? I'll wait. Go ahead. Let me know. (laughs) What what good can come out of worrying? What, What good can come out of it? Okay. 
Now, I said there's a difference between being concerned, being a problem solver, trying to resolve, trying to figure things out, and then coming to the place where there's absolutely nothing you can do, but yet you're going to worry anyway. What good is worrying? What value can worrying add to your life? But now let me ask you the reciprocal. What bad will you gain by worrying? Oh, let's start the list. Stress frustration, high blood pressure, stroke, gray hair, wrinkles, sleepless nights, irritability, anger, sadness, depression. We can go on and on and on with that list. (laughs) So there is absolutely no value to you, to your life, to your situation at all whatsoever by you worrying. But if you do worry, we're going to think of a whole bunch of things that will be added to your life that is not good. God simply asks a question, even if you don't believe me, even if you don't believe my word, even if you don't take the word free guarantee, what are you going to gain from worrying? What are you going to get out of worrying about what you have no control over? He gives another example in verse 28. Verse 28, he says this, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. I mean, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, here it is, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. God gives us the second source of our worrying. He says, because of your little faith. You say, well, wait a minute. I, I thought all we need is the faith the size of a mustard seed. I mean, isn't that what Jesus said? If you just have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell this mulberry branch to be removed, uprooted, and thrown into the sea. You can have this mountain move with the faith the size of a mustard seed. Why now is he saying it's because of our little faith? Well, he is not talking about the amount of your faith. He's not talking about the amount of your faith. Because again, you can have the size of a mustard seed of faith, and still do the impossible. He's not talking about the amount, number one, he's talking about the object of your faith. Okay? When he says, oh, you of little faith, he's talking about the object of your faith. For example, when the spies went in to spy the land of Canaan, the promised land, some of those spies saw giants bigger than them. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb, they saw their God bigger than the giants. What is the difference? The object of their faith. The other spies, they were looking at themselves to do it. (laughs) They were looking at themselves. Now, we got to come in here and we got to fight these giants and we got to take over this land and, and fight them. We can't do that. Why? The object of their faith was who? Them. Therefore, little faith. Joshua and Caleb, they weren't looking at them. They were looking at their God and said, surely God has given us this land. Surely we can do this. For God is able. The object of their faith is what God was concerned with. 
And we have little faith when the object of our faith is anything but God. When it's on us, (laughs) little faith. But when you see, no, the object of my faith, the object of the one that I'm believing in and trusting in is in you, oh God. And there is nothing greater than you. There is no one bigger than you. That is what he was referring to. And number two, I believe he is referring not to the amount of faith. He is referring to the duration of faith. The duration, how long you hold on to that faith. He said, look, you had it, but then you let it go. You had it when you came to church service, but then when you got home, you let it go. You had it when you had the prayer warriors praying for you, and you felt that, and you believed that. But then when you got that phone call, you let it go. Little faith. Isn't that what he told Peter? Peter got out of the boat, and he begins to walk on water. (laughs) But then his eyes got off of the object of his faith, Jesus, It came to the wind and the waves (laughs) and self and he begins to sink and he tells Peter the same thing oh you of little faith what do you mean little faith I'm the one that got out the boat (laughs) I don't see anybody else getting out the boat I got out the boat I actually walked on water yeah you had the faith but you let it go You had the faith, but you quickly released the faith. Oh, you of little faith. So no, it's not the amount. It is not the amount of faith. It is the object of your faith. And it's how long you're willing to hold on to the faith that you have. But then he says something strange here. May kind of make you upset if you didn't know better. (laughs) Kind of make you mad if you didn't know better, if you didn't know your God. He says something strange in verse 31. He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Why does he say the Gentiles? Well, because there was a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was a difference between the people of God and the people who were not of God. And the difference was the covenant that God had made with the people. God came into covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God came into covenant with his people, with the descendants of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said this, I even swore by myself (laughs) that I would keep the covenant that I made. The Gentiles don't have a covenant. Gentiles don't have a promise from God. Gentiles don't have a a guarantee from God. That's why when David went to the field, he was about to fight Goliath. He heard what Goliath was saying. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine (laughs) defying the armies of God? What was he saying there? Who is this person who doesn't have a covenant from God? Because circumcision was the sign of our covenant. (laughs) Circumcision was a sign that we had a guarantee from God. So who is this guy in the field talking this way who doesn't have a covenant with our God? That is the difference. You are seeking after what Gentiles seek, but the difference is we have a covenant. We have a promise. We have a guarantee from our God. (laughs) But then notice what he says here. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. For your heavenly Father 
knows that you need all things. Now, this is what's going to make you mad here. Now, God, (laughs) you mean to tell me (laughs) you are all powerful. (laughs) You are all knowing. You are all benevolent and loving toward me. You can do all things. There is nothing greater than you. There is nothing impossible for you. You know I have this need. (laughs) And you can do something about this need. (laughs) My question is, if you know the need that I have, why do I still have the need? (laughs) If you know that I have this need and you can do something about this need, My question to you is, why in the world do I still have this need then? Why haven't you done something about my problem? Why haven't you done something about my circumstance? Why haven't you done something about my situation? If you know what I have need of, you can do something about it. Why do I still have the need? You know, my wife and I, we we know our kids need to eat every day. Okay, We know that. And my kids know that we know (laughs) that they need to eat every day. (laughs) They know that. So they know somehow, some way, they're going to eat. Mom and dad know we need to eat. Mom and dad are going to feed us. We know that. And we know that they know that. And so they will eventually eat. They know that. Now, it may not be what they want or when they want, but (laughs) they know food is coming, okay? Well, if that's how we are with our earthly kids, how do you think God is with his kids? If that's how we look to our earthly parents, how do you think we're supposed to be looking to our heavenly father to take care of us and provide for us? So there must be a reason then. You may be thinking, okay, what's the reason? Why the delay to deliver Why the delay to deliver? If God knows the need I have even before I ask him, if he can do something about my need and about my situation, why hasn't he already? Why the delay to deliver? Let me give you one other reason. There may be many reasons. Let me give you one other reason. James 1, verse 2. James 1, 2. James would say this. He says, my brethren, those are Christians, those are believers, those who have a covenant with God. He says, my brethren, count it all joy (laughs) when you fall into various trials. God says, when you fall into circumstances and situations that will cause you to worry, Rather than worrying, I want you to rejoice. (laughs) Rather than worrying, I want you to count it all joy when that happens. Now, why in the world would I do that, Pastor? (laughs) Why in the world? I mean, I'm not sadistic. I'm just going to be great, grateful and glad that I'm going through what I'm going through. Why in the world would I count it all joy when I fall into trials and tribulations that would cause me to worry? He says this reason. Knowing that the testing of your faith (laughs) produces patience. God says, I know what you have need of. I got the power. I got the resource. I got the ability. I got the will even to do it. 
but I am delaying my delivery because I'm up to something. (laughs) I'm delaying my delivery because I am testing your faith right now. Because through the testing of your faith, that is going to produce something in you that you don't currently already have. I don't need to test you if you already have it. You ever take tests in school? Once you've mastered that course or that lesson, guess what? You've moved on. You don't have to retake that test unless you fail the test. So God's saying the reason why I'm taking you through this test is because obviously I want to grant you something you don't currently have right now. The testing of your faith is going to produce something in you, which means you don't have it already. It's got to be produced in you. But he says this, but let patience have its perfect work. Leave it alone. Let it do what it was designed to do. Don't quit. Don't bail. Don't say, well, I guess I'm going to go do something else now. No. The Bible says, wait on the Lord. (laughs) Those who wait on the Lord will have their strength renewed. Mount up with wings as eagles. Walk and not faint. Run and not grow weary. All these things, when you are willing to wait. Wait doesn't mean to do nothing. That's not what waiting means. You looking for a job, just sitting on the couch watching Price is Right, waiting for the phone. That's not going to (laughs) happen. That's not what waiting means. Waiting means you are not willing to abandon God nor his ways because he's taking too long. That's what waiting means. God, I'm not going to abandon you. God, I'm not going to leave you. God, I'm not going to leave your ways simply because it's taking too long. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to trust in you. God says, let patience have its work in you. Let patience do its job. Let patience do what I intended it and purposed to do in your life, which is produce something in you you don't currently have. That's why I've allowed this to happen in your life. Not to punish you, not to get back at you or get even with you, because I want to test your faith to produce something in you. So he says, let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may, watch this, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, God came to Joseph when he was but a teenager, gave him not one but two dreams of greatness, that he was going to rule even his own family. It would take another 20 years before that to happen. Another 20 years for that to take place. Why would it take so long? Because Joseph wasn't ready to rule the palace. Joseph wasn't ready for that. So God says, no, I'm going to have to start you off at Potiphar's house, okay? <laughs> I'm going to have to give you some training wheels, okay? I'm going to start you off with Potiphar's house. You're going to head his house. Then he's going to send you to prison. I'm going to have you rule over the prison. Then after you rule Potiphar's house and rule the prison, then you'll be ready to rule the palace. But if I jumped you from your father's house to the palace now, you wouldn't be ready for that. <laughs> you wouldn't know what to do with that. You wouldn't be able to handle that. So God says, I'm going to give you opportunity to exercise faith. And that's what a trial does. A trial gives us the opportunity to exercise faith. If we got everything we needed, every time we needed it, 
we would never have the opportunity to exercise faith. And we would be just like a bunch of rich kids, spoiled brats, right? <laughs> Get whatever you want, whenever you want. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to believe for it. You don't have to do anything. That's how God would, would have on his hands, a bunch of spoiled brats, Treating him like a genie in the sky, treating him like an ATM, treating him like a Santa Claus. If we got everything we needed, whenever we needed it, there would never be an opportunity to exercise faith. So God says, I'm going to allow these things to happen in your life, and I do not want you to worry about them. I want you to count them all as joy that I'm up to something. I'm trying to produce something in you that you need. So in other words, not only does God get the blessing ready for you, <laughs> but he has to get you ready for the blessing. God right now, I don't know what it is, but God right now is busy getting your blessing ready for you. <laughs> Just like you don't want to take a, an unripe fruit off the tree before it's time, God don't want to give you this blessing before it's time. So he's getting the blessing ready for you. But while he is getting the blessing ready for you, guess what? He's getting you ready for the blessing as well. <laughs> he's testing you and he's producing in you all that you need. So when these two things come to maturity, <laughs> when both of these things come to maturity, they will then come to reality. <laughs> I am so glad God didn't give me what I wanted 20 years ago. <laughs> Because I would have messed things up. <laughs> I'm not the man that I am today, what I was way back when. So I'm grateful for the training ground. I'm grateful for the time he's given me to get me ready for what he has in store for me. Because before now, I wouldn't have been ready for it. So God is up to something. That's why there is a delay in his delivery. Then he gives, of course, the worry-free guarantee. Verse 33, he gives the worry-free guarantee. He says this, but seek first the kingdom of God. You seek first, <laughs> not second, not after you exhausted every other resource. Well, I might as well pray now. No, that's, that's what you should have been doing in the first place. <laughs> No, when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he says, all these things shall be added unto you. Like enterprise, God gives us the opportunity to transfer responsibility. That's what this scripture is saying. That's what the worry-free guarantee is all about. God has given the opportunity for a transfer of responsibility from us to him. And at no cost to us. See, the reason why you don't take that damage waiver when you go to Enterprise is, you know, it costs another $15 a day. Okay? <laughs> and you don't want to pay another $15 a day for that that peace of mind, so you say, nah, I just let my insurance take care, or I'll be extra careful, because <laughs> there's a cost to it. Well, there's a cost to this worry-free guarantee as well. The only difference, it doesn't cost you. <laughs> Jesus paid the price for this worry-free guarantee. Jesus has already covered the cost of this worry-free guarantee. 
So he says, so I'm giving you an opportunity to transfer responsibility from your hands to my hands. God has, hear me, church, God has obligated himself. He has obligated himself to take care of us. He has obligated himself to take care of his own. When you belong to him and when you are willing to live for him, you don't have to worry about your life, God says. You can transfer the responsibility of your life from your hands to my hands when you belong to me and when you live for me, God says. That is the worry-free guarantee. Anybody here to take a business trip somewhere? Your company sent you off somewhere? Who paid for that? You? No, company did, right? Why? Because you were doing it for them. You were doing it in their name. You went to the conference for their benefit. So they said, we're going to fit the bill. We're going to pay for all that. You don't have to worry about your meals. We're going to give you a per diem. We're going to put you in a hotel. Now, if you want to go to the movies and go gambling and all that, that's on your own dime, okay? Don't look to us for that. But as long as you're doing it for us, as long as you're doing it in our name, you don't have to worry about this trip. We will cover it. God says the same thing. As long as you belong to me, as long as you are representing me, as long as you are living for me and seeing my glory cover this earth like the waters cover the sea, you don't have to worry about your life. I got you. I got this. Do not worry. I will take care of you. That is the worry-free guarantee God provides. And so finally he ends with another definition of what worry is. One last definition of what worry is, and we'll close with a few thoughts here. Verse 34. He says, therefore, do not worry about what? Tomorrow. (laughs) For tomorrow will worry about its own things. And he says, sufficient for the day that you are in (laughs) is its own trouble. He gives us one more definition of what it means to worry. Worry simply is this, if you're taking notes. Worry is replacing today's yays with tomorrow's sorrows. Worry is replacing today's yays with tomorrow's sorrows. You can't enjoy today's yays. Why? Because you worry about tomorrow's sorrow. So you'd rather focus on tomorrow's sorrows rather than today's yays. God says that's what worry is. Why would you do that? Why in the world would you do that? Today you got enough problems to deal with right now let alone going to borrow all the future problems you're going to have that you don't even know what's going to happen or not, why would you put all that on today as well? So when you worry, you, you replace today's yays with tomorrow's sorrows. So God says, at least wait for it to happen. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to deal with it, at least wait for it to actually happen to you. And we find out that nine times out of ten, It never even happens. It never 
even happens. What you were worried about, what you were uh, having sleepless nights about, what you were arguing with your spouse about and fighting and, and cussing and fussing about, that never even happened. But yeah, you took all of today's days and you said, I'm going to put you to the side right now so I can focus on what might happen. What I think may happen. God says that is foolishness. And that is a foolish, foolish way to live your life. Especially for the Christian, especially for the believer in Christ. So in the seat of our mind, you say, well, how does this look practically? Okay. We have a stool here. Let me give you this stool. Let me get my stool again. <laughs> what does this look like practically? Well, let's take something that we can all um, appreciate in this time that we're living in. Let's take the coronavirus. <laughs> Let's take, because there's, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of worrying that is going on right now all over the world. All over the world, okay? I still don't understand why people are buying toilet paper. Please, somebody help me out. Why are they buying all the toilet paper up? I don't know what that has to do with coronavirus, but help me out, okay, if you can. <laughs> People are worried all over this world, okay, about coronavirus. What do they worry about? Well, on the seat of your heart, the seat of your mind, remember, only one thought can occupy this seat at a time, okay? What is on everybody's mind or most people's mind right now is you're going to get it. <laughs> you're going to get coronavirus. <laughs> and not only are you going to get it, guess what? You're going to die. <laughs> that is the thought that is sitting on your mind. And so that's what you think about. That's what you meditate on. <laughs> that's what you dwell on. That's what you rehearse over and over again. That's how you talk. That's how you feel. That's how you think. That's how you act. It's what you become. And so you're just filled with this anxiety and worry over getting the coronavirus and dying because of the coronavirus. That's what's on your seat, or most people's seat right now. You can move that thought out of the way, and you can replace that thought with the mind of God, okay? The mind of Christ. And what would the mind of Christ say? Well, number one, you would say this. First of all, I have done all that I can to protect myself, okay? I'm, I'm not talking about living foolishly. I'm not talking about living hazardly and just doing crazy things, saying I'm trusting God. No, I have done all that I can for this. I've taken the necessary precautions. I make sure I'm washing my hands. I'm making sure I carry some Perel with me. And if I shake somebody's hand, I'm doing everything that I can in my power to keep myself from catching this and dying from it. I've done that. Now that I've done everything that I can, anything else is out of my hands. <laughs> anything else is beyond my control there is absolutely nothing else I can do about this it is out of my hand it is beyond my control number two what this mind of Christ was saying after you've done everything that you can on your own and you know that there's nothing else you can do it's out of your hands out of your control you say this I don't have it now I don't have it now. I 
don't even know if I ever will get it. So why will I act like I have it now when I don't have it now? (laughs) Why will I act like I'm going to get it if I may not ever get it? That's number two. (laughs) And then number three, the mind of Christ would say this. Even if I do get it, (laughs) is not my life in the hands of God? (laughs) Did not I transfer my responsibility of my life from my hands into God's hands? So even if I do get it, whether he heals me in this life or heals me in the life to come, either way, I'm good. I'm fine with it. (laughs) That is the mind of Christ. Now, both of those thoughts can't occupy this seat. (laughs) Both of those thoughts can't occupy the seat. You got to have one or the other sitting here. (laughs) So either you're going to have, I'm going to get it, I'm going to die, or you're going to have, I belong to Christ. And my life is now his responsibility. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to rely on him. And I am not going to worry. And you can take whatever you're worried about, whether it's coronavirus or anything else that you're concerned with, and you apply the same mind of Christ to it. That is how you do it. (laughs) No enterprise, rent a car. In that name, the secret over the mind of worry is revealed. It is called enterprise rent. A car. (laughs) It's not called Enterprise Own the Car. What's it called? Enterprise Rent the Car. How does that name give us the secret to the mind of worry? Well, because there's a difference between renting something and owning something. There's a difference between renting a house and owning a house. When you rent a house, if something goes wrong with the house, guess what? You call the landlord. You call the owner of the house. And you say, look, uh, my my plumbing is bad, or uh, my dishwasher won't work, or uh, this is coming apart. I need you to send somebody over to fix it. Why? Because you're the owner. (laughs) I'm not the owner. I'm the renter. You are the owner. So it is your responsibility to fix what's wrong here. God says in the same way, if you own your life, then you fix your life. You own your life, best of luck to you. (laughs) You own your life, you're the king of your life, you're the queen of your life, have a good time with that. Don't call me (laughs) if you're the owner. (laughs) But if you are willing to transfer responsibility of your life from you to me, I then become the owner. And when I become the owner, it is now my responsibility. I am now obligated to take care of your life when your life belongs to me. That is what God is saying to us today. So my challenge to you, God's challenge to all of us in here, is that we would take God up on his worry-free guarantee. I know you've been like me. You've gone to enterprise. You say, no, thank you. I don't need that. I'm going to rely on my own insurance or I'm going to be extra careful. I don't need that. Well, you don't want to pass this one up. Okay, (laughs) You don't want to pass this worry-free guarantee up. Okay, God is offering you a worry-free, not a pain-free, not a problem-free, but yes, a worry-free guarantee. 
And my prayer for you is that you will take him up on that offer. Amen. Praise God for his word today, if you will. All right. Well, I've taken a little bit of your time here before we we, we close. We wanted to give you an opportunity to ask some questions. Uh, so before we, we, we close out of here, we're going to bring the mics up. Thank you so much, Tony. If you have any question on uh, concerning the lesson that we've uh, talked about today or any question you like God's perspective on that we can quickly answer, uh, we'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. And again, these are just questions. These are not comments or anything like that. These are just questions because the more we keep them just questions, the more questions we can get in, okay? So if anybody has any questions over what we've talked about today, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to ask that question today. Is there anybody here that has a question? Should we not be worried about all those that might be dying that don't know Christ? Very good. I would say concern, yes. Worry, no. Okay? So, yes. <laughs> so, yes, there should be a legitimate concern for humanity, for what people are going through. And I don't want to, um, you know, joke too much about the coronavirus because there are people who are dying of the coronavirus. And there are people who are dying who don't know Christ. Uh, but there are people who are dying every day of something, okay? This is just one of the things now that they're dying of, but people die every day of something, okay? They leave this world every day. So, yes, I believe we should have a legitimate concern for mankind, for humanity, and that's why we should do whatever we can do to make sure they know what we know and they know who we know. So whether it's coronavirus, whether it's a, a, a car accident, whether it's cancer, whether it's old age, whatever it is that takes them out, they don't have to worry about their life, and we don't have to worry about them. So, yes, there should be a legitimate concern. I don't, I don't want to come across like I'm being cold-hearted or um, I'm not com compassionate uh, about the, the plight of people and what they're dealing with. I'm just saying, if you have this mind, think of the freedom that it will bring you. Think of the victory and the power it will bring you. So wouldn't you want that same mind to be said of others as well? That is the concern that we need to have. Uh, for others as we battle uh, this new thing. Okay? Well, great question. Thank you so much for that. All right. Well, go ahead and stand, if you will, please. Go ahead and hit the music. Go ahead and stand, if you will. And as we close in prayer, we want to give you an opportunity once again not to uh, let this offer pass you by. You know, we're good watching uh, commercials and infomercials on TV. And they say, you know, if you act now, right, <laughs> we'll throw this in. <laughs> or only for a limited time will this be offered to you. Or while supplies last. And it brings a sense of urgency to us to go ahead and take it while we can. Well, God has given us a sense of urgency as well. Because he has told us uh, tomorrow is not promised to us. We, we don't know if we will even see tomorrow, let alone the trials that are waiting for us tomorrow. So God, in the same way, he gives us a sense of urgency. He says, act now while you can. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never repented or turned from your sin the way and the direction that you were going, going and simply surrendered your life to Jesus, do it today. Do it while you still can. So that is plea number one. If you are uh, not a Christian, you're not a believer, you're not saving, you know in your heart of hearts, you're not. Make the decision right here, right now to give your life to Him. 
Secondly, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you are blood-bought, spirit-filled, and on your way to heaven, if you are a son or a daughter of God, do not disrespect God by worrying about your life. That is a disrespect to God. I don't know what I would do if my kids came crying to me. I I don't know if we're going to eat today. I don't know if we're going to have a place to stay. What do you mean you don't know? Haven't I been taking care of you this whole time? Haven't I been good to you this whole time? What do you mean you don't don't know if you're going to be taken care of? How would you feel as a parent (laughs) if your children treated you that way? So why would we treat God that way? Do not disrespect God by worrying about your life. That is the second thing. Let us pray. God, I thank you so much for this time you've given us. And I thank you so much for revealing to us this day how we can have victory over the mind of the mind called worry. And it is by knowing, believing, and trusting in your worry-free guarantee. So I pray, God, as we prepare to leave this place, may we never leave the truth that we have learned here today. May we leave this place changed, encouraged, and able to face the world and whatever this world has to throw at us. Because we know if it gets to us, it first had to go through you. Because we have transferred the responsibility of our life from our hands to yours. So help us to live as such, to honor and to glorify you as such, both now and forever, for our good and for your glory. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. All of God's people said together. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We love you. We'll see you this week. Week weekend.